Quartet Podcast. I'm Ethan. I'm Michael. I'm Brian. I'm Kent. It is now spring of 2018 and back around Labor Day of 2017. We hold up in a recording uh, stage and we spent, how long was it? It's a couple days, right? Yeah, a couple days, full days too. Yeah. And uh, we just recorded a whole bunch of stuff. This was an interesting project because we recorded a bunch of stuff that we've been playing since the beginning, mm-hmm. like our first days on Pearl Street. Instead of brand new pieces of music that were written especially for us, these were arrangements. I don't know. But the, these tracks, so here's the thing. We, we play these concerts, we advertised and really promoted these new pieces, and we recorded this fine album uh, from the opposite shore, and we have CDs always available at the end of our concerts. And... Many times these people approach the booth and they say, well, where is the CD of all this other stuff that you guys play? Uh, and we tell them, well, we don't have one. And they dejectedly Turn shuffle off. Away. <laughs> Meanwhile, forgetting this shining example of... Really good music. Yeah, so, so that's, this is kind of our response to those people... And also just a chance to sit down and, and record all this, all these tracks that we've been playing it's since our, the beginning. It's our sellout CD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is all the fun stuff. So we have a, a ton of uh, pops music that we play, a lot of 80s gems. Give us an example. Oh, so we have a track. A track. I need to quit calling them all that. We have a song called Overkill. Some of you may have heard that. A good track from the 80s. By uh, Men at Work. Yeah. Uh, we have a selection of Beatles tunes, uh, Eleanor Rigby, Kenny Lane. Those are all fun. We have a good selection of soundtracks, a lot of them by John Williams. arrangements of those and so those got on the the album what else what else do we have well, Muppets yeah yes. the Muppets <laughs> theme songs from Muppets Mario Brothers pretty solid uh, arrangement medley of uh, James Bond soundtrack stuff <laughs> album is even though it's some pops and some some more fun tracks is that it there's there's still really good arrangements and some of those soundtrack pieces these pieces aren't easy so they're fun and they're 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 cool to listen to but they still took a lot of work to put together possibly difficult Thank you. 
And so I still feel like it's a good album that shows off our, our skills as a group since we've been together for 11 years now. So I like that. Well, and it's, it's interesting because there's, there's a variety of kind of difficulty in the, in the mixture of songs, for one mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and then it, it was also an interesting experience, for me at least, to go from playing something for fun on Pearl Street and just kind of like having a good time with it to really trying to zero in on like being able to play it as close to perfect as you can. Uh, the recording process is unforgiving. <laughs> it sure is. <clears throat> And it's just normal and natural when you learn something, especially when you're just playing goofy pop tunes outside. Um, tempos will vary, and even our interpretation of rhythm will vary. <laughs> and then you sit down in a recording booth with a metronome on, and every, you know, in order to edit this thing together, every take has to be as close to identical as possible and as close to perfect as possible. And you realize, oh, we've been playing this wrong for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was. Uh, I had a learning curve. But through the magic of um, editing, plus the fact that we were learning as we were going along, we we came up with a really good recording. We almost got it in one take, but... Yes. yes. <laughs> the album. The whole <laughs> album. <laughs> Decided to do a couple extra for... <laughs> just for good posterity. <laughs> Just to give the recording engineer something to do. <laughs> right. Don't want him to be left out. Well, we also recorded the Nutcracker Suite. And that's available immediately. So if you, you know, since it's the spring, <laughs> if you're in the mood for the Nutcracker, check out boulderbassoons.com and you can immediately get a digital download of the Nutcracker Suite, which includes the overture and... Uh, I think it's a total of seven tracks, um, including the Sugar Plum Fairy and uh, all the good stuff. Let's take a listen to one of these tunes off of our upcoming album. What should we listen to? What would be fun? There's so many fun tracks on this. Overkill is good. Penny Lane is nice. The Cannon, actually. do that. No cannon. All right. <laughs> How about Penny Lane? I like Penny Lane. All right. Let's take a listen to Penny Lane. episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast is brought to you by the Boulder Bassoon Quartet's upcoming album, Buy It. (laughs) (laughs) That was convincing.
speaking of upcoming things, the film that we scored, a short film called Alt, is going to be available on Amazon Prime. So in case you didn't have a chance to see us play it live in concert, you can check out the film itself on Amazon Prime. Everybody's on Amazon Prime, remember, right? Heck yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. an edition of Penny Lane, which will be coming soon on our new album. You know, speaking of recording, back in September, you guys know who Esperanza Spaulding is? Yes. Yeah. yeah. She did this interesting event where she went into a recording studio for three days and just stayed there and um, broadcast the whole thing live on Facebook. And over the course of those three days, made an entire album from scratch. Um, do you, by any chance, you watch any of that? I don't. It was quite different than what I expected. Because, you know, when we create music and rehearse it and record it and all that, we write it down and everybody comes in with their part learned and all that stuff. But what she did, I think she would start with, um, you might call it the hook, really some very difficult noodly thing. And she would hammer it out on piano or pick it out on the bass and repeat it over and over and over and work it out till she got it exactly how she wanted it. And then I think she built the song around that. So like I would start with the big structure of the song and what key am I going to be on, that kind of stuff, and then work out a thing to put in it. Mm-hmm. But she did just the opposite, where she'd create a, a melodic or rhythmic melody, motive, and worked it up and repeated it a whole bunch and then developed a song around it and then when the musicians would come in to record the thing, she would teach them how to play this. And at no point did she write it down. So she's te- <laughs> teaching like the guitar player, or the keyboard player, like, no, 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 you're doing it, you got to do it like this. And they would just repeat it over and over and over until finally they figured it out. And I think they would have saved a lot of time. But the way that, that, you know, they all, clearly that was what they're used to. And then they would record it and they would, instead of doing like a big long take, there were a lot of teeny tiny takes and they would basically put the piece together in the computer. So if they had to perform the piece live that week, I don't think they'd be able to. I think it would fall apart. And then when I got the, you know, the actual album in the mail, I listened to it. Of course, it sounds like a flawless, complete piece of music. But in the, in the moment, it was just bits and pieces. And the recording engineer was really the guy who created the album right. in wow. many respects. Yeah. Um, and Esperanza, of course, was telling him, like, oh, in this measure, I want this to happen, and I want this to happen here, and we'll patch in this thing here. Let's do this again. I'm going to record the backing vocals differently. Um, 
and eventually there would be something that they could play for the guest musician who would come in and put something else on top of it. Either like a singer would come in and take Esperanza's vocal track and do it again in her own voice or do it differently or whatever the case might be. Hmm. But the, the whole process was quite different than what I was expecting. Well, and that, that concept of like don't use music and do everything kind of even teaching others by ear was something that I did in, in one of the jazz combos at CU. They said, we're not, we're not going to bring any music in here. Hmm. And each week, a different person picked a song, and they had to teach everybody else the chord changes to the song all by ear. Uh, and so it's an interesting process because you end up, uh, you, it, I feel like you end up getting whatever it is really ingrained uh, yeah. that way. It's that whole concept of like the highest level of comprehension is teaching. All right. I think, I think that really uh, was true. So, Do you think ultimately the piece of music became easier to play than it would have been if you learned it based on sheet music? Uh, that's, that's an interesting question. I think so. I think in the end it was easier. I think the big you know, difference between like when Esperanza and her group are going to play these songs versus when we perform is that they're not going to be looking at music. Yeah. And so you've got to really know it and starting from sheet music, I think I'm always hindered by the fact that I'm attached to it. Yeah. For me to lift my eyeballs off this piece of paper is surprisingly difficult. Yeah. The few times that I have memorized something, you know, I, I started with the sheet music because I'm learning a concerto. There's all these little details written on the page. Mm. Um, and I would listen to recordings over and over and over and eventually move away from the sheet music. And when I performed it from memory, it was daunting and scary because I'm like, what if I have a memory slip? But on the, once, you know, I felt comfortable with the music, it was really liberating. Mm -hmm. And I think I performed it better than I would have if I had the sheet music in front of me. Mm. Was that a long, tedious process, teaching everybody a, a tune? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, some people chose really hard tunes, and so that, that made it more difficult when they, when they did it. Um, and, and the interesting thing that would start to happen is you start to see patterns, right? So, like, jazz has a lot of kind of things that are idiomatic and, and just kind of, like, happen all over the place in jazz. And so what you would start to see by the end of the, the semester was you would go to learn a tune and there would be, like, a shorthand for something. Like, these chord changes go around the circle of fifths or they do it backwards or they, uh, you know, have this particular set of changes that happen and then are like transposed or something like that mm -hmm. um, and it got so it got to the point where if you would go to like there was at, at a coffee shop there would be like a, a jam session where somebody would call a tune that you wouldn't know they would be able to teach it to you in like a minute before the song started and then you would just know it um, but it, that was because you had this background of like learning everything from ear, which forced you to kind of think about it in terms of patterns and, term, and that type of thing instead yeah. of just what's on the page. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a valuable skill. Indeed. Mm -hmm. That sounds hard. It's, it turns <laughs> out it's real hard. <laughs> the little bit of jazz that I've studied, you know, like anybody, I thought when you improvise a solo, you just make up whatever you want to do. 
And then I learned, oh, there's a lot of structure there. The chords <laughs> yeah. are changing. You've got to pick notes that are part of those chords. You've got to know where those chords are changing and how they're going to change and where you're going to go and what notes are in both of those chords and should you avoid certain notes. And Oh, boy, it was daunting. <laughs> it's very difficult. I remember one time the teacher said, okay, don't play a fourth because the fourth is a signal to the other guys in the group that you're wrapping it up and you're going to be done. So whatever key we were in, I remember like we're going down the line. It's almost my turn. I'm thinking, okay, don't play B flat. Don't play B flat. Don't play B flat. <laughs> First note out, B flat. And the guy had to stop. He was like, Brian, don't play the fourth. We don't want you to play the fourth. And like, I know, I know. <laughs> Pink zebra moment. Yeah, sure was. <laughs> yeah. I played a big, proud pink zebra. <laughs> um, what do you think was easier to do, our first album, to record our first album, or to record this new one with all the pop music? There were, there were difficult difficulties with both, I think. Yeah. I thought recording the first album was easier. Um, huh. Wow. I, I think we had been playing that music every week for like three, four, five hours at a time. Like it was just it was just gonna be there. Whereas we didn't we didn't spend quite such a relentless and rigorous rehearsal schedule leading up to the other bit. But I also I think there were different aspects to it too, because mm -hmm. the, the first album was recorded um, by the group. We didn't have a recording engineer and it was recorded at night, right? So we had these four days where, um, at least in my case, I, I would go to work and then I would drive up, up here and then we would just like knock it out and you'd have like four hours to really concentrate. Mm -hmm. Whereas this, this last uh, time, we, we had kind of the day to kind of stretch out, mm -hmm. uh, which was nice. And we were not operating the equipment. Yeah. Also nice. <laughs> also really which nice. Which makes a big difference, I thought. Um, and being able to tell the recording engineer, we want to use this take for the beginning and this other take for the middle and let you do it instead yeah. of me doing all that. <laughs> That's been pretty luxurious, I think. <clears throat> the setting was different, which I, I liked. I mean, the Boulder Piano Gallery, where we recorded the first one, they, it was wonderful that they let us use it, and it worked just fine, but being able to record on a nice... Uh, stage like we did this time had some nice acoustics and the mic setup was real nice um, what did he do he had mics out in the in the house to catch the overall sound and then each one of us had a mic in front of us and uh, that actually worked out real well and we when we went to his house to uh, balance the Nutcracker uh, we were able to sit and listen to things and, and bring out different people based on what we wanted to hear and that was thanks to his mic setup so I thought that was pretty neat you know now that Ethan has his fancy bassoon I would love to sometime re-record from the opposite shore partly because it's going to sound different but the other part is because our interpretation of the pieces are different every piece we play differently and I think it's an improvement um, I mean one thing was like when we played the Sound of New York for Rika, for example, she said, well, the car horns in the second movement, you're playing them too short. We were going bop, 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 and she went bop, 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 bop. Just a little difference like that, you know, in the way that we interpret the Paul Hansen 
and uh, little changes we've made in like so-so, for example. Right. I would love to someday revisit all that stuff. That makes me feel tired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just just, just thinking about it, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Maybe we could do a live album. Yeah, that's, see, that's what I was thinking. Just have, have some concert where we just purposefully have just... Well, a collection of concerts. Yeah, a collection of concerts. That's right. Choose. That's right. Oh, so so sounded great up in Estes, so we'll use that one. And then so cliche sounded great in the Gothic Theater. <laughs> so we'll use that recording. <clears throat> All right, well, I think that'll wrap up this episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast. Um, to send this out, let's listen to something that we spent so many hours uh, pouring over, recording it and editing it. We have a lot of stuff to choose from now. What should we pick? Nimbus, Nimbus 2000? This is Nimbus 2000, a tune from Harry Potter, performed by the Boulder Bassoon Quartet. You know, I've heard of those guys. Thank you. 